Hi, Gateway Church Dartford here. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. We trust that what you hear will be a blessing and an encouragement to your journey. Thank you so much. Bless you. Bless you. Praise the Lord. It's a great pleasure to be back in uh, Dartford. I've been here several times. You can turn me down a bit. It's a, yeah, because I'll get louder later. Uh, yeah, um, as Pastor said, we, we met at the AOG conference. Uh, I'm an AOG minister in Wembley. I've been pastor of a church for a long time, 43 years. That's a long time. And we also run a Bible school there that's been going about 33 years. Uh, I've had the pleasure of uh, visiting many, many different countries, and um, from a very, uh, very early in the ministry, God spoke to me to teach people on prayer. I teach on many different subjects, but to teach people about prayer. So it's the first thing I thought my children, when they were growing up, when my children were growing up every night um, that I was around, especially in the early years, because later on I was traveling a lot. I would lay my hands on each one of my children and say, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's Angela, then John, and then Sarah. Every night I blessed them and uh, told them a story. Uh, Two of them drifted away from the Lord, but they're back now, and they're all serving the Lord. Um, Angela is 47, married with two boys, and Johnny, my son, he was a bit of a rascal, Ended up in prison a couple of times, but he's back with the Lord now. He's a man of God, and he's married with three children, and uh, he's 43. And then my youngest, Sarah, is 41. She's married with two girls. They all uh, are part of a church and serving the Lord. So I'm really grateful for that. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Uh, You know, uh, I hope that this message will impact you. I, I feel that what God's called me to do is to impart the spirit of prayer to people. So um, I'm expecting uh, that the spirit of prayer will be greatly stirred in you, every one of you, individually and corporately. So that's what I'm believing for today. So will you stretch your hands towards me and pray for me? Pray for me and my family, uh, church back home. Lord, I, I thank you for the prayers of the saints. that make such a difference. I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for the privilege of being here. It's always a privilege to be able to share your word with God's people. So anoint me, Lord. I need your anointing. Without you, I can do nothing. And I just pray you'll speak into our lives in a powerful way that will make a difference Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for the future. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. I'm going to read uh, from a scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Oh, uh, I'll just tell you where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, you know, people often ask me, where are you from? Um, my name's Christensen, so that's a Danish name. And my granddad was from Denmark. So um, without boring you with all the details, I'm, I'm very mixed race. I've got Danish blood, French blood, Indian blood, Scottish blood, and Irish blood. I won't give you more detail than that. It'll be very boring. 
So uh, that's, I'm a mixture. Amen? So uh, I feel comfortable everywhere. Praise the Lord. All right. Uh, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 1. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground and the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good and his mercy endures forever. Yeah, I'll stop there. Um, this is the prayer. Uh, you know, it says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven. So here he was, if you look at the previous chapter, he was praying a prayer where he was dedicating the temple, you know, that David wanted to build, and then God told David that his son would build the temple. So uh, David had saved up millions and millions of equivalent of pounds of gold and silver and all kinds of stuff and handed it over to Solomon. So here was Solomon, uh, you know, dedicating the temple to the Lord. And in the whole of most of chapter 6, you see Solomon's prayer. You see the prayer that he prayed. And it's quite amazing because uh, I have spoken from this passage many, many times. But when I backtracked to um, chapter 6, you see Solomon without going into detail. He's standing, he lifts his hands up, and then he kneels down, and he begins to pray a prayer of dedication of the temple to the Lord. And uh, in verse 14, he says this over and over again. He said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or earth like you. And then in verse uh, 18, he says, Behold, heaven and uh, the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. In verse 23, he says, Hear from heaven. And he keeps on. If you go down chapter 6, every two, three verses, he mentions heaven. He's praying uh, with a consciousness of heaven. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus said, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and say, Our Father who art in heaven. So um, it, there's, there's a sense in which we need to be conscious of heaven when we are praying. But, but look at this. In 2 Chronicles 7, uh, it says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven. So if you can get the picture, he was in a hall, a very large hall, uh, I'm sure, and there were maybe hundreds if not thousands of people there. And there he was, kneeling down with his hands up, and praying this prayer where he seems to mention heaven every few words. If you go through chapter 6, he mentions heaven about 15 times. And then it says, as he finished praying, fire came down from where? Heaven. From heaven. So the, uh, the thought uh, I'd like us to get is this. Prayer released something from heaven that came down to earth. So when he finished praying, fire came down from heaven, it actually left heaven, wherever heaven is, and it came into the room where he was praying. Uh, and that's quite significant because that's something of what happens when we really need to uh, learn to pray effectively. Something leaves heaven always. I know we've got the Holy Spirit inside of us, and some people have a whole uh, theory around that. But something leaves heaven when people are praying fervently and comes to the very place where they are praying. And not only do you see this in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament as well. 
Uh, we're going to go, if, you, if you're following me in the Bible or on the screen, in Acts chapter, chapter 2, very well-known chapter. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day, uh, uh, you know, in the previous verses we, we read that 120 people were praying for 10 days. That's a lot of prayer. So 120 people were in the upper room. Anybody here been to Israel? Anyone been to Israel? Yeah, I've been to Israel many, many times, taken groups there, been there with pastors, been there with the God Channel. And uh, they, they take you to a place, and they say this, we believe, is the upper room. So it's very interesting. You get the picture, you know, of 120 people praying for 10 days. That's a long prayer meeting. And then it says, uh, during this prayer meeting, it was on the 10th day, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven. Whoa! He's got heaven there again. So while these guys are praying, uh, again, something leaves heaven, a sound. And uh, some theologians believe it was the sound that was so loud that attracted the crowd that came. Because, you know, Peter preached to that crowd and 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ. It says, suddenly... Uh, there came a sound from heaven, that's in direct response to their prayer, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they appeared to them, dividing tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each one of them. So there was about 120 people there, and when they looked around the room, every one of them saw something that looked like a tongue of fire over every single one of them. And it said, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, there was a well-known man of God in England. Uh, he was a bit controversial, but he was a very successful minister. He was a, a friend of my spiritual father, a very close friend. He was an Englishman from the Midlands. And uh, he had a reputation of being used in the gifts of the Spirit. And someone asked him one day, they said, uh, how is it that whenever you minister, the Holy Spirit seems to come? How is it whenever you minister, the Holy Spirit seems to come in power? And he said this. He said, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, and he smiled. And you know, that is true wherever you look. Wherever you look, where there's much prayer, there'll be much power. Fire came down from heaven in response to all those guys praying, you know, tongues uh, as a fire came down on the day of Pentecost, the sound came down from heaven, and within minutes, uh, you know, or within the next hour, uh, 3,000 people came into the kingdom. How spectacular is that? And that all came out of prayer, and all came out of something leaving heaven and coming down to earth. And that's what we need if we're going to see things happen in our lives, in our homes, in our localities, in our nation. We need the power and the presence of God to come down from heaven in a greater way than we are currently experiencing. Amen? Yes. So, you know, much prayer, much power. I think the original uh, person who said that may have been Leonard Ravenhill, who spoke a lot about revival. But uh, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. Wherever you look, in the mirror, in your family, in your, in your church, in your locality, in your city, in your nation, and even on your continent, wherever there's, a, there's very, probably a very little prayer in Antarctica. 
But wherever there's very little prayer, there will be very little Holy Ghost activity. If you want to see a little bit of the presence and power of God in your life, just get up late, have a big breakfast, read your Bible for a few minutes, pray for a few minutes and go to work, and I guarantee you, you'll see very little Holy Spirit activity in your life. One of the things I do is when I travel, I, I teach people to pray one hour a day. When I was um, 25 years old, I just got married to Denise. We've been married now 48 years. Uh, I felt God speaking to me. I wasn't a minister. In fact, I was a practicing Catholic, but a charismatic Catholic. I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and I was speaking in tongues and going to charismatic meetings. There was a big move, charismatic move in, in the 70s. Uh, and I used to go to Colin Urquhart's church where I got touched and healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. He became a friend of mine uh, subsequently. Really miss him. He's going to be with, in heaven. Uh, and... Uh, in those uh, early days uh, of marriage, um, God spoke to me to spend an hour a day. It's a book I read, and it said, you know, would you spend one hour in prayer a day? You know, it's, it just so happens Jesus told his disciples, could you not watch with me for one hour, watch and pray that you not, do not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He actually mentioned one hour. And... Uh, <clears throat> So I've seen the difference it makes when some people spend an hour with God. So I tried to spend an hour with God. I was 25 years old, just got married to Denise. We were staying in an in a upper room, as it were. It was a, a loft extension. And uh, I tried to pray one hour a day. And, uh, you know, often when I was, uh, I'm, I was not a morning person in those days. I did put my stopwatch on. I was not a morning person in those days, so I struggled to get up in the morning. I was working in the civil service, you know, uh, Department of Employment. I struggled to get up in the morning to pray in those days, and uh, so I, I used to pray at night. So before I went to bed, I would go in the front room, and I was trying to spend an hour with God, reading my Bible and praying. And this is what often happened. Often, while I was trying to pray, I heard this noise. And that's not groaning in the spirit. That's called snor snoring. And uh, I often dozed off. I have to be honest with you. I dozed off many, many times. But after about six weeks, I was praying an hour a day. I was reading my Bible, praying in English, praying in tongues. And I just felt so different. I felt like I was born again all over again. And uh, I just felt so different. And I felt like when I witnessed to people at work, it had a greater impact upon them, backed by that prayer life. And so many things in my life's changed, uh, you know, from that time. And uh, when my daughter, uh, Angela, she's a woman of God. She uh, goes to a good church in Watford near Wembley. And uh, when she was about 11 or 12 years old, she went to high school. And, uh, you know, when you go from junior school to high school, it's a big step. Because when you're just about to leave junior school, you're the biggest and the tallest and the strongest there largely, and then you go to high school and you're the smallest there. Everybody's bigger than you. And the first day that um, Angela went to high school, just in Wembley, uh, there were five girls there and they picked on her. And, uh, you know, they, they started to bully her. So she, they, for some reason, they just picked on her. They didn't even know her. So she'd be walking down the, uh, you know, the corridor and they'd bump into her like that and say, oh, sorry, you didn't mean it. 
She'd go and queue up to get some food, and someone would kick her, and she didn't know who kicked her. So she came home crying and, and saying, Mom, Dad, I don't like that school, etc., etc. And uh, this carried on for days. And uh, we got a few people praying, uh, but they didn't seem to change. Then I went into the school, uh, spoke to the headmaster about this bullying. I spoke to the teacher of her class, and even spoke to one of the parents of the children, the five girls that were bullying her. But nothing seemed to change. So, you know, she said, uh, no, Mom, Dad, take me out of that school. I hate that school. You know, uh, I'm not happy there, etc., etc." But one night, when I was praying for my children, you know, remember I said I laid hands on them every night and asked God to bless them. One night when I was praying for Angela, I felt the Lord say, leave her in that school. Okay, when, when God tells you to do something, you just obey, don't you? Unless you're stupid, you know. And uh, he told me to do that, so I did it. And uh, time went by, and then because the situation was not changing, I called Angela over one day, and I said, Angela, I'm going to teach you to pray one hour a day. She was 12 years old. So I broke it down for her. I didn't break it down the way I teach in prayer seminars. But I said, read your Bible for 20 minutes. Pray in English for 20 minutes. And I taught her the, the Lord's Prayer format. Because in the Lord's Prayer, you have all the ingredients of holistic prayer, rounded prayer life. See, some people uh, define prayer very simply. They say, prayer is simply talking to God. It's much more than that. Prayer is simply talking to God and listening to God. It's much more than that. It, it contains worship. It contains petition. It contains contrition. It contains spiritual warfare. The ingredients of a holistic prayer life is much more than fellowship, which is the main part for prayer, fellowshipping with Him and getting to know Him. But there are other ing ingredients to what I call a holistic prayer life. Spiritual warfare is an important part of a good prayer life as well. So here she was, and you know, I heard the alarm going off in the morning, and uh, Angela got up and she was praying an hour. She went to school. Two, three, four days went by, and then one day she came home and she, I heard the door slam, and she went into her room and she told me afterwards, she said, Dad, I prayed a second hour. And she'd prayed two hours that day. After about one week of Angela praying like that, those five girls stopped bullying her. Not only did they stop bullying her, they became her friends and remained her friends for the whole of the schooling. And after that, no one bothered her because she now had mafia protection. <laughs> you know, and that was a spectacular answer to prayer. A 12-year-old praying one hour a day and things just dramatically changed. Twelve, a one hour a day for a 12-year-old is much prayer. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power wherever you look, in your life, in the mirror, in your family, etc., etc., etc. So, you know, um, Angela learned that lesson very young in life, that when she prays uh, and spends time with God, everything is different in that day. And I found that too, you know, that uh, I used to pray on the run, but uh, I learned, and uh, now my prayer times are mainly in the morning uh, of reading the Word, praying in English, praying in tongues, etc., etc., etc. You know, um, I have a friend who's a, a very gifted evangelist, 
English guy, and he's very eloquent, um, great command of the English language, knows his Bible really well, cover to cover, great preacher. He told me a story of when he was preaching up uh, somewhere in England, uh, north of Birmingham, he was preaching there. And this is years ago, probably, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, uh, you know, and, and the area he was in was largely a monoculture in those days. Most of the people in that area were English. So he, he went there, and he was doing a youth rally. And uh, the, the local churches had got together, and they invited people from the community. So when he got there, he realized that m more than 50% of the children were non-Christians. They'd come from the community. So he had a very mixed bunch. He wasn't just speaking to Christian youth. He was speaking to Christian youth and non-Christian youth. And they'd come from the community, and uh, they didn't look very interested in the youth meeting. In fact, when it started, some of them were walking around, you know, they were talking to each other, and they weren't being respectful like you'd expect them to be uh, in, a, in, in, a, in a good youth rally. So he did his best using his gifting and his personality and his Bible knowledge, but when he finished, he didn't feel that he'd really succeeded uh, in effectively communicating with those young people. He went home feeling very low. So the next morning, he got up very early, him and his friend, and they were in a, a country area. They found a barn. And from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night, in the evening, they prayed. And they cried out to God from their guts. They cried out to God. In fact, they prayed so loud that some local farmer, a local farmer came to see what the noise was all about. And he was an Englishman making a noise in prayer. And they prayed for 12 hours, nonstop, crying out to God that he would work in that evening meeting. When the evening meeting came, he went to the pulpit. He saw a lot more youth there. Some of them looked bigger and more muscular and uglier than the ones the previous day. And they looked like they'd come for trouble. And, you know, they, uh, said they were kind of sit, going around. He got into the pulpit. He prayed. They sat down. A couple of them tried to talk to each other. But there was an unseen force in the room, an unseen force, invisible ushers. And they were still. They listened to the whole sermon. When he gave an altar call, many of them came forward, even some troublemakers from the previous day. They were weeping, and they gave their lives to Christ. So what was the difference between the first night and the second night? Much prayer. Much prayer. Much power. See, if you don't get excited, I will. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. You organize a meeting, you, you give it five minutes of prayer, yeah, you'll get very little Holy Ghost activity. So, you know... I have known, and when we, you know, like for us, January is a, is a month of fasting and prayer, and we engage in much prayer. We have uh, prayer meetings. Some are online nearly every day, and uh, Monday to Friday, and then we meet Wednesday and Thursday to pray. And some people fast 21 days. Some people fast two, three days in the week. Uh, and everybody engages. My associate pastor, he, he fasted, um, I think he fasted the whole month, uh, just eating a light meal in the evening. 
So he did 31 days fasting, just having a light meal in the evening. And the presence of God is so strong when you do something like that. All kinds of things start happening. Supernatural things start happening. A couple of people, you know, uh, I say, I felt in my meeting, anyone here need a job? They stood up, we prayed for them. They got a job within three days. All kinds of supernatural things happen when people engage in much prayer. Another time I went up to a seminar many years ago. I was probably in my 30s at the time. And I went to this seminar and there was a young preacher. He'd come from America and he had a spiritual father who was one of my favorite preachers. I'd read a lot of his books and, and gleaned a lot from him. And this young man was saying how he traveled with this well-known preacher who had a great healing ministry. And he said that he traveled with him and uh, he would have these healing meetings and pray for the sick and so on. And he, he mentioned one meeting where his spiritual father was speaking. And uh, while he was sitting in the meeting, he saw a lady in a wheelchair across the front. And he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, pray for the lady in the wheelchair. So he prayed for her. She came up, uh, you know, the preacher laid hands on her, nothing happened. She went, they wheeled her back to where she was. That night he went to bed. In the middle of the night, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, pray for the lady in the wheelchair. So he said he got out of bed and he knelt down and he said he, for two and a half hours, he he prayed in tongues until the burden lifted. He prayed for the lady in the wheelchair. He came back that next evening. She was sitting in the same place. When there was time for prayer, they wheeled her up, and the preacher laid hands on her. Nothing happened. They wheeled her back. And so the next night, the Holy Spirit woke him up again and said, pray for the lady in the wheelchair. And he said, this time, he said, I interceded for one and a half hours for the lady in the wheelchair. And he came to the meeting that night. He said, that night in the meeting, a cloud of God's glory came into the room. That kind of cloud, you know, you read about it sometimes in the Old Testament. A cloud of God's glory. It doesn't come through the main door. It comes through the wall. It's God's glory. This cloud of God's glory came into the room. And it started going around the room, and wherever it stopped, people were falling down and getting healed. You see, those kind of things happen when there's much prayer. They don't happen in a vacuum. And then uh, the cloud came over the lady in the wheelchair, and she jumped up, and she was completely healed. And when she jumped up, and she was completely healed, the Holy Spirit said to him, if you hadn't prayed, that wouldn't have happened. There's an intrinsic link between much prayer and the miraculous. If we want to see the miraculous, we'll have to engage in much prayer. You know, there's someone, you know, I've got about 40 hours of teaching on prayer. Prayer is not a small subject. It's a big subject, you know. And uh, they say, you know, uh, I get asked questions yesterday. A couple of days ago, I was speaking at a YWAM base to young YWAMers, and they asked me a few questions. And uh, I've been teaching on prayer so long, I, I jokingly said, if you ask me a question that I've never been asked before, I said, I'll give you a prize. And they laughed. But like, uh, I've been teaching on prayer in Bible school and seminars for so many years. And, uh, you know, you can say this, God always answers prayer. This is a general saying. 
and I agree with it 90%, not 100%. God always answers prayer. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. You know, one of God's favorite words is wait. You know, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They mount up on wings like eagles. I say to the Lord, you know, say something else. You know, I've waited long enough, sometimes I say to him. But you know, um, if you get a lot of no's, God says yes, God says no, and God says wait. You get a lot of no's, it's because you don't know how to pray correctly. Because if you ask, pray according to the word, you'll get a high degree of yes answers. If you learn to pray according to the word. Jesus said, ask me to receive, seek me to find, knock on the door, be open. Everyone who asks receives. And those who seek, find, and those who knock, the door will be opened. You know, if anybody didn't need to pray, it was Jesus. If, you know, if prayer was an optional extra that you didn't really need to engage in, then, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to spend much time in prayer. But if you look at all the significant things in the life of Jesus, significant things that happened, they came out of prayer. And he spent hours in prayer. And he was the incarnate son of God. So obviously it was something that we all need to engage in. I say if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do I need to pray? He was praying, you know, in Mark 1, 35. I'm trying to follow the Holy Spirit here. I could go in many different directions. In the morning, a great while before day, he arose and went to a lonely place, and there he prayed. Mark 1, 35. A great while before day. Daybreak was at 6. A great while before day. He got up to pray. He was praying when the Holy Spirit came upon him. It says he went into the water. John the Baptist. And he said, while he was praying, the heavens opened. And the Holy Spirit came down like a dove upon him. And the Father spoke and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The whole Trinity showed up on that occasion when Jesus prayed. You know, he was praying, he withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Often, he was praying when Peter acknowledged he was the Christ. Who do men say I am? If you backtrack, he was praying before that. He was praying before the transfiguration. He took three of his disciples, Peter, John, and James, up the mountain to pray. And they prayed. And his clothes were changed, and the Father came and spoke. They heard the Father speak. That came out of prayer. It didn't happen in a vacuum. There are lots of things that come out of prayer that won't happen unless people pray. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. When my daughter Angela spent those one hour a day, that was much prayer for her. And God broke that controlling spirit off those bullies. They changed. They became her friends for the whole of her schooling. Isn't that incredible? You know? And uh, Jesus has recorded his praying. When he, before he chose his disciples, it says he was up all night praying, you know? And, uh, you know, I was in a prayer seminar. I was in a leader's seminar up in Nantwich, I think it was, uh, several years ago. And there was about 50 ministers there, 50 ministers. It was a, a residential ministers meeting. We went there to be inspired and encouraged. And most of the ministers there were English, and, but on my right there were three African ministers sitting next to me. 
And the guy who was speaking to us was a theologian. He had a PhD in theology. And he was considered, you know, to be a very sharp guy who knew the Bible. <clears throat> and he was teaching on church growth. He was teaching on the ingredients of church growth. If you do this, he, he was quoting someone who said, if you do this and do this and do this and do this and do this, your church will grow. And he quoted all the quotes from this guy. But he didn't quote prayer. So I said, uh, I put my hand up and I said, excuse me, what about prayer? He said, what about prayer? I said, well, you know, in the book of Acts, there was prayer. He said, there's not much mention of prayer in the book of Acts. And it seemed like the Holy Spirit came upon me. And for two minutes, I quoted him all the scriptures. Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 6, Acts 10, Acts 16. I quoted him all the scriptures on prayer. And there was, a, there was a kind of a presence that came down on the meeting. I'm not exaggerating. Because here's this PhD, and he's telling people that prayer is not an important ingredient of church growth. It is an important ingredient of church growth. And he was saying that, so the Holy Spirit showed up, and he came up to me afterwards, and he said, I guess you've got a point there. That's typical of a theologian. Uh, you got a point there, and then he, then he asked me a few questions, you know, and uh, we had a little rapport. But um, then I turned to these three African ministers who were sitting next to me. And I said, where are you guys from? They said, oh, we're from Ghana. I know Ghana, I know lots of Ghanaians now. I've been to Ghana and preached there. And um, I said, oh, what church do you come from? They said, Church of Pentecost. So I'd, I'd read a book by James about James McEwen. James McEwen was a missionary. Uh, I think he's from Scotland or Northern Ireland. He went out to Ghana. I don't know if it was in the 30s or the 40s or the 50s. He went out. They lived there. They dressed like Ghanaians. They interacted with the Ghanaians, and they planted uh, 3,000 churches. When he came back, you know, AOG, the denomination I belong to, has 600 churches in Britain. This guy with his wife planted 3,000 churches, and they trained the locals. When I drove across, when I've driven across um, Ghana, you know, as a Church of Pentecost, Church of Pentecost, Church of Pentecost, everywhere. You know, the quickest way to change a nation is to plant churches everywhere. And that's what he did. James McEwen. The, the book written about him was called A Giant in Ghana. So, uh, you know... I turned to my friends there and I said, did he believe in prayer? Because that was the topic, you know. They smiled. And they said his slogan was, prayer is the work, and the work is prayer. In other words, the main work that God's called you to do as a Christian and, and as a minister is prayer. Dr. Paul Yonggi Cho, I heard him speak at the AOG conference. He said, you do the work of prayer and God will do it the rest. You do the work of prayer and God will do his work through you. My son, he went away from the Lord. He was in jail twice. Outside the house, there was a, something happened and a boy walked up to him. He wasn't even expecting it and stabbed him here. Stabbed him here. So he walks into the house and he said, Dad, I've been stabbed. And I looked and there was this huge gaping wound there like an open mouth. We called an ambulance and rushed him 
to hospital. The policewoman there said, I heard her speaking. She said, we've got a young man here. I don't think he's going to make it. It was right next to his heart. But we were walking up and down. Lord, spare his life. Don't let Johnny die. Oh, God, we cry out to you. Don't let Johnny die, Lord. And he lived. The sad thing is, and I don't know how all these work, and I, I don't uh, claim to be better than anyone else. But that same day, another pastor's son got stabbed and he died. I don't know why my son but I do know why my son didn't die. I was praying. Amen? Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. Power for what? To overcome sin, self, and Satan. Power to resist the dictates of the world, the flesh, and the devil. When you've got little prayer, you've got very little resistance to temptation. That's what Jesus said to his disciples when he called them to join him in prayer. He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Read it backwards. If you don't watch and pray, you will enter into temptation. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he said, could you not watch with me for one hour in that same sort of sequence in the Bible? And there's so much more that one can say. That, as I say, there's an intrinsic link between much prayer and the moving of the Holy Spirit. When I was uh, in my 30s, there was a well-known evangelist who came to England, and he was preaching. He came from Australia. His name was Steve Ryder, and we got linked with him. He did lots of crusades, and uh, lots of people got saved, and lots of people got healed. And uh, I had a dream because, like your pastor, I also was a worship leader when I was your age. <laughs> I'm retired now. <laughs> Got other people doing it. And so I also used to lead worship. So I led worship for Steve sometimes. And then I had a dream. And in this dream, I, I felt that I should exhort all the people to pray. I felt like I need to tell these people how prayer, important prayer is. This is before I started teaching on prayer regularly. And uh, Steve, you know, he was unusual. He, he never sat in the front. He'd walk all around and see who was in the meeting. So he was, he was walking up there. And in the dream, I called him. I said, Steve, I said, um, I believe we need to call the people to prayer. So he turned around to me and he said, you do it. So uh, here I was fumbling for my Bible and I was looking for Colossians 4, verse 2, to read it to the people, to tell them how important prayer was, and I'm going to say a few words about prayer. And I was fumbling with my Bible, and I couldn't find the Scripture in the dream, and suddenly I wake up. And when I wake up, I hear myself saying out loud, I hear myself, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That's what Colossians 4, 2 says. And that's when God spoke to me that I would be teaching people on prayer. For, uh, for in my future. Amen? Amen. Anyone heard of M Amy Semple McPherson? Yeah. She was a controversial figure, but a great woman of God. The people who taught me in Bible school were discipled by her, uh, Elmer and Jean Darnell. There were four square missionaries. They had a Bible school here. That's where I studied. And uh, Amy Semple McPherson saw amazing miracles 
She had a, a church in um, Los Angeles with 5,000 people. It was the largest Pentecostal church in the world, and she was the pastor there in an age where women ministers were not easily accepted. And she saw great miracles. She was radical. She's the first person to bring in Christian drama and use drama to put truth across. She invited all the people from Los Angeles, all the police force from Los Angeles to a service to preach the gospel to them. And she came in on a motorbike, police bike, right on the stage. And you know, they say, stop in the name of the law. She got off the bike and said, stop in the name of the Lord. And she preached the gospel and many police officers got saved. And on the right-hand side of the, uh, you know, the stage, there was all kinds of wheelchairs and you know, things of people who'd been healed. She saw the most amazing miracles. And she said this. Amy Semple McPherson said this. All heaven is bent to listen to the prayer of the despised humble group whose presence men ignore as they meet in the upper room. The minister who goes out without tarrying in prayer is an ambassador without his authorization papers. The revival on the day of Pentecost was not worked up. It was prayed down. Revival can be prayed down. Amen. Revival in your life. Revival in your marriage. Revival in your home. Revival for your kids. I've seen my children, two of them backslide. My youngest daughter was out there partying and doing all kinds of things. But God answers prayer. And they've all come back. Amen. Now we're working on the grandkids. Yeah. And much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. So I'm going to close with this. I'm going to give you a quote by... Uh, I'm going to give you two quotes, actually. One is by Leonard Ravenhill. And uh, let me just give you this quote as we, as we close. He says... I'll give you the quote by William Seymour. Anybody heard of William Seymour? Yeah. yeah. He was the catalyst for the Azusa Street Revival. You know, uh, Leonard Ravenel said this. He said, no man is greater than his prayer life. If your prayer life goes down, your whole spiritual life goes down. No person is greater than their prayer life. If you don't have a prayer life, you're playing at Christianity. You need to spend quality time. God still loves you. And, you know, you can experience his grace. But it's much more when you're spending quality time with him. It's not legalism. An, an, an athlete who says, needs to train 10 miles a day, when his coach says, you haven't done your 10 miles, he, says, don't, he doesn't say, don't be legalistic. It's not legalistic. It's if he either does his training or he doesn't succeed. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, let, let me read this about William Seymour, and then we'll pray. Um, William Seymour was a black man, and the reason why I say that, because he lived in a time, he was born in 1870, and he died in 1922. And uh, the reason why I say that was, in the day that he lived, he didn't have opportunity to be of great influence because of the prejudices that existed in society. But uh, this is written of him. It says, at the turn of the century, Revival fires began burning in certain places of the world. 
The Welsh Revival that came in 1904 under Evan Roberts was one of them. The Sialkot Revival in Punjab, India under Praying Hyde that burst out 1905-1906 was another. Indeed, the 10 years from 1901 to 1910 were termed the Revival Decade. Other nations that reported revival fires within this decade were Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Indonesia, Scandinavia, Korea, China, to mention a few. Los Angeles, California was another place where revival fires were brewing. The entire city was uh, already on the verge of a great spiritual happening. In the midst of this, there was one man in particular that availed himself unto the Lord, making the revival a reality. That man was William Seymour. He started praying three hours every day, asking for God's glorious manifestation, not only in his own life, but in the world. Nothing seemed to happen, so he increased it to five hours daily. He prayed for 18 months. All this time, he was working in a restaurant for eight hours daily. He wanted to give up praying when he heard an inner voice saying to him, <clears throat> increase your prayer to seven hours. He protested, but decided to give it a try. He prayed for another six months or thereabouts. And one day, the power came with such an effusion that it sparked off a revival that became known worldwide as the Azusa Street Revival. The leading evangelist, George G. Lake, who saw great revival, when he met William Seymour, he said he had more of God in his life than any man I've ever met. He emitted the presence of God. Well, you would too if you were spending seven hours a day in prayer. Now, not every one of you or any one of us can spend seven hours a day in prayer, but we can spend one hour. So I want to challenge you today. I've come all the way to Dartford. I've even had to pay to get through that place there. Dartford Crossing. So I want to make it worth my while. <laughs> and I want to encourage you. I hope you've been stirred up. I hope you've been stirred up in the inner man. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. I've just shared my, the words I've shared with you. And you can make a commitment today that will change your life forever. It changed my life when I started spending an hour a day with God. But I started slowly, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour. One girl came up to me. She was crying, senior nurse. She said, Pastor Ian, every time I hear you teach about prayer, I, I, I'm motivated and I want to pray, but then my prayer life fizzled out. Have you ever experienced that? Lots of Christians experience that. So I said, how do you get to work? She said, I drive. So how long is the drive? She said, 30 minutes. So I said, when you get into your car, shut the door, pray for 30 minutes, listen to the Bible on CD tape those days. When you come back, you've got another half an hour, one hour a day. Where there's a will, there's a way. Amen? Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Father God, if you want to lift your hands, lift your hands and lift your heart to the Lord. Let's come before him. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this church, Lord. Gateway Church. We thank you for every precious member of this church. We thank you for the great plans you have because we're living in the days when you said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And we know how the gates of hell are muzzled when people pray cannot do what they want to do so Lord in Jesus name I pray that the spirit of prayer will be released in our lives and in our homes and in this church 
in a new way and in a deeper way than ever before. I pray that whether the person is, people here are young or old, I pray that their prayer lives will really begin to ignite so that they may know you in a deeper way and have a greater impact on the people around them because of the presence they carry. So Lord, I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Can I give a few words to you?